Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. In the book of Matthew, and in chapter 24, is where we actually will begin the sermon this evening, or the message that we're going to deal with. And much of what we're going to read right here has been misapplied, so that's why I've made those preliminary remarks. Chapter 24. And if you have a red-letter edition, you will discover all of this is the Lord's words as they are printed read. Beginning even with verse 14, where we want to start, is a misunderstanding as to actually what the, the verse Uh, the Lord actually intended. He said, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all the world for a witness to all nations, and then shall the end come. He is talking about something that will happen. All of the nations of the world will have the gospel preached to them, but the, the culmination of that period of time will take place during the tribulation, when the two prophets that we talked about are actually going throughout the world, preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in every nation, The people of all the nations will have had an opportunity to hear the gospel preached. And when you therefore shall see the abomination of the desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whosoever readeth, let him understand. Got to go back to Daniel, which we read before. All right. That is a prophecy of the time in the tribulation when it's about to end, the gospel will be preached all over the world, you will see the abomination described in in Daniel that we read earlier. We are talking about the time that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to physically come to earth. Go down to verse 21. Then shall be the great tribulation the last seven years we'll be preaching about, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. If you follow the last couple of weeks, we have made note of the millions and millions of people who have been killed during the tribulation period. Some people think that there will only be 50 million people left upon earth at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The rest will have been destroyed in the period of the seven years. And so we're talking about millions and millions of people who have actually died during that period of time. But if that seven-year period were not shortened, he says here, nobody would be left. But notice why it is shortened. For the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. The Lord will not allow the great period of tribulation to go beyond that seven-year period because of the people who are saved during that tribulation period. Then shall a man say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, but believe it not. There shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and that shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they should deceive the even the very elect. And you will find many people in today's world, and it's getting worse, who proclaim to be prophets, preachers of the gospel, and even people who claim to be Christ himself, 
that are deceiving people. Just in today's per uh, paper, those two ladies, uh, where was it, in Pennsylvania, who, who were deceived into believing that they could go out and now wait for the Lord's return because it was to happen immediately, have been deceived by somebody who proclaims himself to be a prophet or to be a preacher, to be an interpreter of the Scripture. And the Lord himself says, don't believe it when people start prophesying like that, because nobody can determine when that time's going to be. All right. Go down to verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the cloud of heaven with power and with glory. There's a lot of things in that particular verse, and I have given you some comments upon those. Number one is the term sudden. The return of the Lord will be sudden. They, everybody that is upon earth is going to see the Son of Man coming. People have been asking for many years and, and discrediting the Scripture, how is it possible for everybody upon earth to see Jesus Christ all at the same time when we know the earth is round and there's no way everybody can see one person coming in the cloud. Now that we have television such as we have, it has suddenly become entirely possible for everybody, even if this is the means that the Lord elects to use, for everybody in the world to be able to see you think that television cameras are not going to be turned on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me tell you, every news uh, agency in the world, every TV station will have all of their trucks out with their cameras trained on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be the greatest piece of news that this world has ever had. Here comes somebody out of heaven to earth. There will be a mighty scrambling to get this news out. The cameras, I believe, will be definitely returned or will be turned upon the Lord and all men everywhere will make it possible to see. Now, if that's not the way the Lord wants to use it, it makes no difference to me. The point is the Lord has said that everybody on earth is going to see his coming. By none, there will be that definite evidence that he has returned. He will be in body form. They will see him coming in the clouds and look how he's coming. He is now coming with power. When the Lord Jesus Christ came the first time, he came as a little baby. He came in peace. He came in humility. He came in uh, a manner designed to get people to love him, and he loved in return, but when he comes this time, he's not coming as a little baby in a manger. He's coming with power and authority, and he is going to exert that authority. He is described throughout the book of Revelation as riding on a horse. That's a description of power. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. That was a description of humility. But he won't ride a donkey this next time. He's going to be on a horse in, in those figurative terms, indicating that he is coming with mighty power and the glory of God is going to be around him. He will, we will see his glory. 
such as we have never seen it. He is going to return with power. But notice what the attitude and the action of the people are in that very ver- same verse. And they shall, and then shall the tribes of all the earth, the nations of all the earth, mourn. Nobody's going to be glad to see him come because he is coming in power to judge. And the peoples of the earth have rejected him, have scorned him, have been bitter against him, have blasphemed his name, and now they know that time of judgment has come. And they're going to mourn. I can remember a few times when I mourned when my dad came in the house. For I'd already been promised by my mother that I was going to get it. And I knew that the day of judgment was come when I saw him enter the house. Listen, that is play compared to what's about to happen now when the Father will send his Son to the earth for the purpose of judgment. Yes, indeed, the earth will mourn. Now, if you recall last week, we talked about the armies of the world gathering together to fight each other in a valley in Israel called Megiddo. A huge valley over there. 200 million army coming out of the Orient, China and her satellites. The people of Europe and probably the United States is covered in that group. There is no reference in the scriptures to the United States. But there are descriptions of, of the uh, Western nations, the European nations, and everybody uh, believes, as far as I know, that the United States will, is considered a part of that. And the, the, Israel, the Hebrew or the Arabs, those nations, all of them are gathered together to fight each other, but suddenly there is a change in strategy. They are not now going to fight each other because they have an enemy that has just appeared in the sky in front of them, and they now become allies in order to fight against one common enemy. And the armies are mourning as they turn their weaponry, not now toward each other, but now toward Jesus Christ, thinking that they are going to destroy him in, the, in their, uh, their war. That, folks, is the Battle of Armageddon. All right, I want you to go over with me to the book of Revelation now, chapter 19. Beginning at verse 11. Here is a description of the coming of the Lord. And I saw heaven opened, 1911. And behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he did judge and make war. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with the vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, amazing that there are armies in heaven clothed in fine linen white and clean but notice their description and out of his mouth now the armies don't do anything the 
armies do not fight this battle. This is a battle of one person against the armies of earth. Jesus Christ fights the whole battle. And out of his mouth, in verse 15, goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the wine presses, the fierceness of the wrath of God Almighty. The Lord Jesus Christ will be engaged in battle with the armies of the world. And it is he, with simply the word of his mouth, that will order the destruction of the armies that have gathered in Megiddo. And the descriptions that you have read many times, out of that battle the blood will run to the height of horses' riders in the valley of Megiddo. I have already told you there are 200 million in one army, let alone the armies of Europe and the other armies that have gathered. Millions upon millions of people are gathered in their armor to battle and turn their forces against Jesus Christ, and he brings destruction down upon that mass of people. How much blood is contained within those millions of soldiers? Isaiah, I gave you the note on page 7 from Isaiah 34, 2. The Lord's indignation is against all nations and his wrath against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to slaughter. You know, if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, we think, my... How terrible of God to destroy multi-millions of people. Where is his compassion? He has had compassion and love since the beginning of time. He has said again and again and again, Folks, you can escape eternal damnation by believing in my Son, Jesus Christ, and I will love you as a father loves his own child. He has warned and coerced and advised. And even during the last seven years, you notice we had two pauses in all of this destruction to give people a chance to rethink and make a decision for Jesus Christ. And they wouldn't do it. God cannot allow injustice to continue. It has brought this world to destruction in his righteousness, he now must exert his authority. Or else he would be a laughing stock of the entire universe. If he would knuckle under to the uh, sinfulness of the very people that he created in the very beginning. Everything has been done to give people an opportunity to love him. And they laugh in his face. Now he must, instead of being a God of love, he must now be a God of righteousness, a God of judgment. His indignation, we have exhausted his patience. And he will no longer allow us to exhaust his patience. He has reached the end of the rope, as any father finally reaches the end of the rope and yields the whip. He now has gone as far as he will go, and if this man that he has made will not believe, 
in a way of salvation, then they will suffer the consequences of eternal damnation. And this is the beginnings of that. And Jeremiah 25, 33 says, And those slain by the Lord on that day shall be from one end of the earth to the other, not just the armies gathered together in Megiddo, in that great valley, but peoples around the world who have not believed in Jesus Christ will be destroyed. I think, if I understand the scripture right, after the battle of Armageddon, there will not be one single unsaved person left alive on the earth. Not one. Every lost person will die when the battle of Armageddon is completed. When God has wreaked out his judgment upon the world, there will be people alive yet. Some think maybe 50 million, as I've already stated, but they'll all be saved people. Every last person will have died at that point in time and gone to hell because they would not believe in the way of salvation. That's the battle of Armageddon. Chapter 19 at verse 19. I saw the beast. Remember, this is the false, uh, anti the Antichrist that we've been talking about. The beast, the king of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat upon the horse against his army, and the beast was taken. The beast was taken, and with him the false prophet, and there was the two people, two human beings, that wrought miracles before him, which he deceived, uh, with, with which he deceived them, that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. Both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. That's not hell. After a while, hell itself is cast into the lake of fire, and all those that are in hell are cast into the lake of fire. This is the final death, the final sentence. These two didn't even get the opportunity of appealing their case before God, the white throne judgment. They go directly to hell. Okay. They're, they're that wicked. They were cast into the lake of fire. I should not have said hell, because that's a totally different place. Cast into the lake of fire. Satan now is bound. He is not cast into the lake of fire, but Satan is bound in the very beginnings of the 20th chapter. An angel comes down from heaven who has the keys of a place called the bottomless pit. He has a chain in his hand. He grabs hold of Satan. He puts chains upon him. He casts him into prison, which is described as the bottomless pit. It is chained up. And Satan is bound, he is not in the lake of fire at this point in time, he is bound in a place called the bottomless pit where he will remain for a thousand years while Christ is upon earth. Now I'm not going to spend much time dealing with, with the church as the bride because we'll deal more with that next week. But, but I have some notes there that you might, might want to look at a little bit. The Lord comes now back to earth and establishes himself from Jerusalem on a throne. He now becomes physical ruler of this world. He is going to rule for a thousand years. This is called the millennium. There will be people on earth. Now, who will they be? First of all, there are the saved. Gentiles, 
which all of us are, I suppose, unless there happens to be somebody who is a Jew present. If you're a Jew, I'm not talking about you now, but if you're a Gentile, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. If uh, those people, those Gentiles who have accepted Jesus Christ during the tribulation period, who are still yet alive after the Battle of Armageddon, and they will not be killed during the Battle of Armageddon if they're saved. God will preserve them. Remember, he put his mark upon their foreheads last week. He identified them in order to keep them safe. No Christian, after a period in time during the tribulation period, will be, uh, will be killed. They will be preserved uh, throughout the tribulation if they believe in Jesus Christ. Now, in the early part of the tribulation, many, many even who were Christian were killed. But finally there comes a point in which the Lord identifies those who are Christian and will not allow them to, be, to, to die. Keeps them preserved. All the unsaved will be dead. So, we've got a group of Gentiles who survived and are upon earth. And we need to go to Matthew 25. And this is one of the passages of Scripture that has been totally misunderstood. And I want to point this out to you that Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 31, is where we'll start, is talking about those people who are Christian during the tribulation. It is not talking about you and me. Now, you're going to see this here in a moment. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory. You see, that's the second coming. That's not the rapture time. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, which is in Jerusalem, of course, and before him, now here is the judgment of the nations, before him all of the nations shall be gathered together uh, around the throne, and he shall separate them one from another, as a, sheep divided, uh, as a shepherd divided his sheep from the goats. This is a judgment of people upon earth. The nations is not referring to like the United States or England or France. It is being used to identify uh, Gentile people. Not a nation per se, but the word nation throughout the scripture frequently refers to people who are not Jewish. So in this term, any Gentile would be considered uh, a nation. And so, here are all the Gentile people who were saved during the tribulation gathered before the throne in Jerusalem. And what's he going to do with them? He's going to divide these Gentile people uh, according to uh, something. And he shall set the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left, and then shall the king say unto them on the right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And why is he going to do that? For I was hungry, and you gave me meat, thirsty, and you gave me drink, stranger, and you took me in, naked, and you clothed me, and all that. Now, uh, goes to verse 38. When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee, and so on. Verse 40, And the king shall answer and say, I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren. Who are my brethren? The 144,000 Jews who were saved during the tribulation. So what does he say? Gentile people, your relationship to my millennium, my kingdom upon earth, is going to be based 
upon what you physically did to my people, my identified 144,000 Jews. The Jews will be denied all kinds of opportunities for jobs and, and food and so on, and many Gentiles will begin to take care of them, to, uh, to care for them all over the world. If you are alive during the tribulation period, I would advise you to seek out some Jews and take care of them. Because right here, the Lord has said, your relationship in my millennial reign is going to be based upon what you did with my brethren. Then shall he say to them on the left hand, down to verse 41, depart from me. You cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry and you gave me no meat, and thirsty and gave me no drink, and so on. Okay. I wish we could spend a lot more time on it. I'm pointing out, and I made a note in the notes, as I did on the chart, that during the tribulation, it's pretty important to do some things. You must still believe in Jesus Christ by faith. But your relationship and your privileges and your opportunities uh, as a part of God's kingdom is going to be pretty closely tied to the works that one performs. So we go from Old Testament saved by, by works to the uh, church age saved by grace to the tribulation period again saved by works. Now don't misunderstand. One still must believe in Jesus Christ. That is paramount. But one's works becomes very important during the pre and the post church age. Very, very important. A person in the Old Testament was saved and lost continually. He was saved today and he sinned and that meant he was lost and he had to get forgiven of his sins again by offering a sacrifice. And as soon as he went out the door and did another sin, he was lost again. That's the way a lot of people want to work today, but it doesn't work that way. If you're saved and lost, saved and lost, you better start offering your lambs because you're a Jew in operation. Because it requires blood to forgive sin. And that's the way it was done in the Old Testament. You brought your lamb and you offered the sacrifice and your sin is forgiven. And so on and on and on it went. The Father the Lord said, I'm hating this. I despise it. I'm no longer going to accept it. You're going to have to accept one sacrifice and that's my son Jesus Christ. And that's where we are. The only way for salvation today is not by what we do, but by what we believe in our heart, by what we accept. He offered it free in the uh, time of the tribulation. Yes, people are still going to have to believe in Jesus Christ, and their sins are going to have to be forgiven by the blood. But listen, one's relationship to God's kingdom upon earth for that thousand-year period is going to be tied to what one does during that seven-year period. He may be saved, but he is... His privileges in that kingdom are going to be tied to, to his works. All right, we've got to go on. The lost are sent away into everlasting punishment, fair and hell, the unsaved. So, the second group that we have on the page eight of the notes is Israel, of course. They're going to be all of these Jewish people that are saved. And they're going to be dealt with. The Lord is going to spend a thousand years dealing with, with Israel. And then the third group that's going to be on earth during the millennium 
there are those that were martyred. They're going to be resurrected. Now, notice some things about resurrection. Jesus Christ was the first resurrection. First one to raise from the dead. When the Lord returns to receive his church, the church will be resurrected. That's all. Just the church. At this point in time, now, at the second coming of the Lord, the martyrs of the tribulation will be resurrected. We haven't had yet the resurrection of the lost. That's yet to come. So keep that in mind. We've only had three resurrections so far. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of the church at the time of the, of the rapture, and the resurrection of those who were saved during the tribulation now are, are resurrected. That's all. Well, that's, and the rest, everybody else is, is in the grave. All the other bodies are in the grave. None of them have come forth yet. So we're on earth. A thousand year period. Peace on earth. Satan has been removed. You realize that we'd have peace today if Satan were removed? It's going to happen one day. Even the animal kingdom is at peace. You've read that many times. The lamb and the lion lay down with each other, and, and uh, children even play with, uh, with insects, the poison, stinging wasps and hornets and all of that. There is, in fact, peace in the valley. It lasts for a thousand years. Now, something we ought to keep in mind. The Gentile people have been living on earth in peace. And people have been still living as husbands and wives and raising families. We've got a whole new crop of people. A thousand years of new population. Their mothers and fathers believed in Jesus Christ and were in the millennium because they believed. That doesn't say the children believe. So you've got a whole group, millions now, who have grown up in this thousand-year period who do not believe in Jesus Christ. Even though he's reigning in Jerusalem, they won't accept him. Satan is left out of prison. Chapter 20 of Revelation. Satan is let out. There's another battle about to take place. This is not the battle of Armageddon. We've already had it. This is another battle. I think we can properly call it the final battle. Chapter 20, beginning at verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. And what's he going to do? He's going to go out to deceive who? The nations, the Gentiles who have been living upon earth now in peace and harmony while Christ reigns from Jerusalem. All over the world, the world's being populated. They're everywhere. He's going to go out and he's going to deceive all uh, from all four quarters of the earth, everybody, to gather them together to battle the number of which... 
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.